0: All right, Mark 12, uh, verse 13. We'll read the text, and we're just going to jump right in uh, this week. It says, Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to catch him in his words. And they came to him and asked, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Here's a question. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? I mean, should we pay or shouldn't we? Now, Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So they brought him the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied, Well, then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Now, if you're just uh, tuning in, chapters 11 and 12 are Jesus, who's the traveling preacher making his way towards Jerusalem. We know the Easter story is about to come up. Jesus has come to Jerusalem to die. He's predicted three times that he is going to suffer at the hands of, of the Jewish leaders, and then be crucified and rise again. He said it, he said it, he said it. Well, now he's about to do it. And as it gets closer to the time of Jesus's death, a strange thing happens. The very people that should be most for him are most against him. And, and what they're trying to do is test his authority. Jesus, who are you? Are you Who you say you are, you're a miracle worker, you astound people, you have crowds, but do you have the credibility? So they're testing his authority. And we know that last week they flat out asked him, by what authority do you do this? Jesus tells a story about a vineyard that should produce fruit, but it doesn't. And the tenants, the the ones who are working the fields, they're to blame. And he's speaking about these leaders. Their hearts aren't for God, and they're like vineyards working a field. If it doesn't produce fruit, you get rid of it. Jesus, they're attacking him, but he subtly attacks back and says, I've got authority over all things. So what happens now? If at first you don't succeed, send some other brothers to try to take Jesus out. That's what happens here. So first it says the Sanhedrin, top 71, cannot get Jesus To stumble on his words. So who do they send? Look at verse 13. They sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to catch him. The word there, catch him, is the same word as if you're going to hook a fish or you're going to lay out a trap uh, for an animal. They're setting something out so that Jesus will stumble because if they could tweet out a misquote from Jesus, if they can get a little snippet for CNN and post it, you discredit someone's credibility, right? And all the good that they did washes away. So they're trying to get Jesus to stumble. By what authority do you do all of this? Now, it's so funny because what, is, what do they ask Jesus? Do we pay the imperial tax or not? This is ironic. We didn't set this up, but the tax deadline is April 15th in a couple of days, right? This is so good. I mean, I wish we would have set this up. I was like... Oh my gosh, it's actually due. So if you've not yet done your taxes, this says total application, Jesus says file an extension. He totally says file an extension. Don't worry, they'll give anyone an extension for three months, it's a freebie. So if, you, if you're slow, get an, no, actually that's your accountant, says the extension. But, but let's look at what happens. They say they're gonna catch him in his own words. Is it right to pay the imperial tax. Now, what's, what's the imperial tax? Uh, like today, where you have taxes off of your income, you have real estate tax. We don't have a sales tax, but there's federal tax and state tax. Uh, taxing in the first century was the same deal. If you're Jewish, you have the temple tax, but then you have the Roman taxes. And when you travel, you have traveling toll taxes. Well, in AD 6, So about 25 years before this is happening, they added another tax. It was a day's wage, which is one denarius. And so on top of everything else, now they got to pay out more. Why? Because Caesar's emperor, and he says so. He's in charge. So the Jews hated the tax, one, because when you're told you have to give away more, who's happy about an extra tax? Nobody. But for the Jews, it was much worse than this. They hated it because it reminded them of the Roman oppression. Now the Roman oppression showed up on their coins. We've got a, a, a picture. This is life size of a Roman denarius. Can this fit in your robe? I mean, think of the burden. No, it's actually slightly blown up. Um, And it's a two-sided coin like we have today. And on one side, you have the picture. Look at the larger nostril of Caesar Tiberius. This is the Caesar at the time of Jesus. This is his coin. Every Caesar put their own face on the coins to show who's boss. And on the front, it says, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, that's his name, son of the divine Augustus. So what really made the Jews mad was not just that they had to pay a tax. They had to transfer their currency to this, which said that, that Tiberius is from the divine Augustus. He's a bit of a god. On the backside of the coin, it was a real slam in the face because it had the mom of Tiberius and it, it had Maxim um, Pontus, and this is a uh, high priest. So you had a coin, now if you're Jewish, How many gods are there? There's one creator God. So you have a coin from a foreigner who says, I am son of a God and I'm the high priest. There's only one temple where you worship the true God and for a non-Jew to make that claim. So it's more than just paying taxes. The issue and the reason they drive at the question is there's three responses to uh, to the tax that's going on in the Jewish community. You have the Herodians. Now, it mentions them in Mark. The Herodians were Jews, but they were okay. The reason they're called the Herodians, they're okay with the rule of Herod. Uh, They're okay with Roman rule. They're like, we're followers of Yahweh, but these are our leaders. So they had no problem paying this tax. They love God. They love the Torah, but they're okay with a government that's not Jewish. But then, ironically, you have them matched with the Pharisees. And now the Pharisees take the Bible, the Torah, very seriously. So much so, anything not in Torah, they do not hold. And in Torah, you're not supposed to make a graven image of God. So the fact that Tiberius puts his face as a God shows that that coin is idolatry. But the Pharisees aren't like trying to take over the government, but they pay the tax, but they totally hate the coin. So they're not going to keep it in their pocket on tax day, pay it. But I don't want nothing to do with it. It's idolatry. Then the third group that you don't see in the story are the zealots. And the zealots have zeal, right? Like they're, they're excited about the kingdom of God and they hate anything that is not a uh, in Torah, and they hate the Romans. The zealots are the ones that want to take down the Roman government. Not the Herodians, not the Pharisees. It's one extreme group. But ironically, the Sanhedrin, the leaders, they send a group that would never agree on anything. The Herodians and the Pharisees were totally opposed to each other within the community. It's like saying, let's get the diehard beavers and the diehard ducks to come in and talk football. And who's better? It's just not going to happen. It would be the same thing like getting the Tea Party and the, the, the leaders of Obamacare in the same room to talk about money and taxes. It's never going to happen. It's like getting um, Warner, who, who produced the Lego movie. Did you hear everything? Everything is awesome. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like getting them, Warner, who competes with Disney for big bucks and Disney produced Frozen. I mean, let it go. Right. Let it go. <laughs> Don't hold it back anymore. Uh, Anyway, you're going to wake up singing Frozen tomorrow morning. Poof, I just did it to you. That's me every morning. Anyway, it's like getting Warner and Disney to to agree on. They're, They're two opposite sides, but Jesus notices what they've done. The two agree on one thing. We need to get rid of this Jesus. Now, we don't feel the weight of this issue. This is actually a big deal for them. Imagine if now many of us follow Jesus. Imagine if the government put a coin and said, okay, everyone has to pay a tax and has the face of Muhammad. And it says on the coin, there is is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. And it's a picture of Muhammad on there. Would you carry that coin as a follower of Jesus? See, we don't see this as a big deal, but this actually is a big issue. Uh, but really, as we're reading the story, we're going to find out it's not about the taxes. Look at verse 14. They came to and said, and they butter him up. Teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others. You pay no attention to who they are. You teach the way of God. They're totally buttering him up. But ironically, everything there is true. <laughs> They're trying to kill him with kindness. Is it right to pay this imperial tax? Should we pay or shouldn't we? What they're trying to do is there's a crowd of people. They're at the temple. They're trying to pit Jesus with his own words. If Jesus says, I'm for the tax, he's going to offend one group. If Jesus says, I'm against the tax, they're going to bring him to Rome as a traitor. So they're trying to find a way to get Jesus to stumble in his words. But notice what Jesus does. He outwits them and he's able to flip the conversation all the way around. Uh, Verse Middle of verse 15, Jesus knew their hypocrisy. He knew knew it's a sham. Why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Simple line, but it's so slick. Does Jesus have a coin on him? No. And that's his point. He's like, oh, great. Why are you out to trap me? I don't carry the coin, which automatically would have said to all those who love the Jewish faith and are against this tax. Ah, he's one of our guys. Jesus does not have a coin on him. But he says, why don't you get me one, which implies one of them has it. Jesus is slick. And so what he does is they're in the temple area. Those who are completely conservative, you would never bring this coin of this Roman idol into One of them has a coin. And so Jesus knows their hearts. If you are trying to fool Jesus, implication here, if you are trying to fool Jesus, nice try. Good luck if you think that you could come here and put on a good show and impress Jesus and see, I'm I'm all good. And then Monday through Saturday, live apart from him and do whatever you want and ignore everything he said. Good luck trying to pull one over on Jesus in person. They cannot do it. And 2000 years later, as the resurrected king, we can't do it either. Everything is exposed in front of Jesus. And so what does he do? He doesn't slam them in front of the crowd, but he corrects them. Uh, whose inscription, they brought him a coin, verse 16, and he asked them, whose image is on it? Two words here that are key in Jesus' line of thinking that are going to get to the real story behind the story, the question behind the question, the issue behind the issue that they've brought up. Whose image is on this. Now the word image is cone in Greek. And when you, when the Bible was written, the first half, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. But most of the people in the time of Jesus didn't speak Hebrew or didn't write Hebrew. That was their background. But it became their second language. Their first language for most was Aramaic, the local language, or, or um, they would speak in the Roman tongue or Latin. And so When they translated the Bible, this is a little bit of an aside, but it's helpful. They had to translate the Bible because most people couldn't read the Bible. They translated it into the Roman language. And in Greek, which is the Roman tongue, uh, the word in Genesis 126, which talks about us being, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, is the same word, ekonm. So Jesus is going to get to the story behind the story. You're talking about taxes. Let's put that aside for a second. Whose image is on the coin? Well, obviously, Caesar's. But Jesus is implying something bigger and broader and more applicable to the rest of us. No matter where we live, no matter what image we're under, we're American, many of us, whatever your ethnic background, uh, you're single or you're married, that may be your image, you're a parent or Uh, a grandparent, that may be your image, Uh, you're young or or, or old, whatever your your image is, there is a bigger image that sits above that in that Genesis 1.26 is true. You are, if you're breathing, made in the image of God. You're made in the image and likeness of your creator. So Jesus is brilliant. He's going to set aside two things that are at work And he's not going to lose any of the crowd because he knows this is a trick. He says, whose inscription is on it? Whose image is on it? Caesar's. Then he said to them, okay, give back to Caesar what is Caesar. Give it back. They're asking him the question, is it right for us to pay this tax Or not, not. That's the question, should we pay the tax? And now that's a word uh, in Greek called didomai. Should we pay, didomai, the tax? But Jesus does not use the same word. Didomai is something that has to do with anything with a financial agreement. Should you pay the tax, didomai, the tax? Jesus actually uses a more specific word that is going to clarify what they've got muddy. He uses the word apodidomai, which is fulfill the contract Or pay what is owed. And he's saying, what's the difference? Should we engage in this money exchange with Rome, they ask? It's like, engage in this money exchange? No, you don't get it. On the coin is the image of who? Caesar. So, who minted the coin? Caesar. Who's running the government? Caesar. Whose benefit and protection are you getting? Caesar. It's not like you're voluntarily engaging in some financial agreement with Rome. You are under contract to Rome. You live in Jerusalem, which is ruled by Rome. Therefore, you have an obligation to give whoever's face is on the coin. It's their coin. Give them their coin. Now, Jesus is slick on this. It's subtle. We don't get it. There were some who hated the image of Caesar, period. So subtly, Jesus is saying to those who hate the coin, hey, give it back. You don't like it? You don't like what Caesar's doing? You don't like his coin? Fine. Give it to him. Now, to those who wanted to take down the government, the, the, the zealots who aren't here with Jesus, he's making a statement against a violent revolution. Jesus is a revolutionary, but he's not a revolutionary, not a revolutionary in the way they want to pit him out to be. He is not going to raise an army. He's not going to go to war. He's not going to fight with violence, which is what they're trying to stir up. Every Jew wants to get rid of the Romans and install a Jewish king. Every Jew wants to do that. The question was, how are you going to get there? There were super violent and more peaceful approaches, and Jesus is the prince of peace. And so he's not going to raise an army. He's not going to raise a sword. And he is going to say, to them and to us that even though we are part of the kingdom of God, the Jewish people were the people of God. And now by faith in Jesus, we are the people of God. We do live under the rule of God. Would you agree? we we belong to God whose image is on the coin Caesar. Great. So there's a responsibility to Caesar whose image do we bear? We bear God's image. We bear God's imprint. You have the mark of God in your life. So there are always two responsibilities if you're breathing. If you're not, it's another issue altogether. If you're breathing, you have two responsibilities. You Your responsibility to the image bearer. God made you. you. You owe him something. And then God puts you in a place where there's another image. So you're an American or you're an Indian or you're a Mexican And there are responsibilities. And Jesus weaves through the mud here. And in a sense, walks out with the entire crowd loving him. Because the way he said his words did not stumble into the trap. Now, if this is just about taxes, which I want to suggest it's not. The question, should we pay the imperial tax, is not the issue. So, If you read a bit and if you study a bit, you're going to find lots of people taking this text and making a whole political statement about it. An entire worldview about two different kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man and how we need to separate them or the kingdom of God needs to go over the kingdom of this earth. So you're going to say there are going to be some people that Christians should rule the government because God is above the state. There are going to be some people who say that the government and the church should be totally wedded because Jesus weaves these two kingdoms together. There are going to be some people who say we should abstain from this world because the kingdom of Caesar is not ours. We're God's you're going to get all of it. I want to suggest it has nothing to do with taxes because Jesus answers a trap. So Jesus isn't teaching here about our allegiance, but what he does use is he uses a negative situation and he flips it to the more important issue. Remember I said last week, there's the question and the question behind the question. There's the issue, and then there's the real heart issue. And once again, Jesus is a genius and adds one little statement that sets the tone for the whole thing. Let's look at it. Verse 17. Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what Caesar's. What's his is his. Give him the coin. And give to God's what is God's. So the thrust of the argument is about God. Now, why is this important? Because last week you saw Jesus was against leaders who are against him. That's what this is about. If you call yourself a leader and you're not in alignment with the king, Jesus has a problem with this. Let's put it in our language. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus and don't follow Jesus, Jesus has a problem with this. Forget the issue Forget the reason why you're exempted from Jesus's rule. Forget the reason why you can justify your doing what the rest of us might say is wrong. Every one of us has our issue. Jesus goes behind it to the heart. What is the real issue? Is their hearts are far from allegiance to God. They're trying to pit him. Jesus, are you more in bed with Rome than God? And he's saying, guys, You've missed the plot line. Jesus is not against the people here. Everyone he's speaking to in this context is a leader, already embedded in one camp, so to speak. So what does Jesus do when some people who claim to be a part of his party go against him? Just hold your spot here. Go to the left, three pages or four, depending on the size of your Bible, to Mark 8. We already looked at this story, but I want us just to read it with this lens in view. Mark eight thirty-one, because Mark 8 and what Jesus says to Peter, one of his leaders, is almost identical to what Jesus says to these Roman officials, I'm sorry, these, these temple officials in Jerusalem that are trying to accuse him of being in league with Rome. Uh, Mark 8, 31, Jesus began to teach them, that's his disciples, that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law. Pause. The very crew we're talking about in Mark 12. Jesus predicting it here. And that he must be killed, which is about to happen. And after three days rise again. Jesus spoke plainly about this. And Peter, this is where we see the rebellion, took him aside and began to rebuke him, which is so classic. And I, I don't fault Peter here because I do it all the time. Jesus, I kind of get what you're doing, but if you, knew, if you knew the whole story, you would side up with me. Everybody, right? Think that way? If you, Jesus, I know, I know you said that, but I, I kind of know better. And, and he, he pulls Jesus aside. And then in verse 33, when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter Get behind me, Satan. Not a good phrase. And he said, you don't have in mind, and here's this little phrase, the concerns of God. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. You don't have God's view as primary, but merely human concerns. So let's think back to our our, our story. We're going to continue in a second. You've got the kingdom of Caesar and you have the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying to Peter here in, in Mark 8 is you are thinking humanly. Humanly, it makes no sense when the leader dies. Is it really good when the leader of a company dies? Is it good when the leader of a country dies? This is not a good thing. And so humanly, Jesus, uh, Peter's right, die, no way But there's another kingdom at view, and what Jesus does is distinguishes, you're thinking humanly, you're not thinking like God. Your allegiance is not to God's plan, Peter. And I'm gonna call you out. And God is so good, and his son Jesus is so good, that he calls us out. When we are out of alignment, when we're thinking human kingdom, human desire, above kingdom desire, king, God, creator, he calls us out. So he takes Peter aside. And, and this is, this, how do you know if I'm thinking humanly, kingdom of Caesar, American worldview, as opposed to opposition of kingdom of God worldview, look at verse 34. If you want to test yourself, this is the grid. You just run your issue through this grid. And I guarantee you, you'll know what the kingdom of God is like. Then he called the crowd and he said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, here's the grid, must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. When you think about your issue, when you think about your whatever, run it through that filter. Me embracing this, is this a denial of myself or really what my flesh wants to do? Is this in line with the cross? The thing I want to do, the stand I want to take, is it in line with the cross? What's in line with the cross? That God the creator would humble himself and allow his own creation To kill him. Now, I think at least three times in my life, I've been humble. At least three times in my entire life, I've been a humble person. But even in my three times of being humble, because I just lean towards pride. Those who know me know it well. I lean towards pride. Have I ever been humble enough in the way of the cross? No. So whatever issue I'm taking, does it line up with a denial of my Selfish desire. Does it line up with humility? Just deny themselves, take the cross and follow me. Does it line up with the trajectory that God, through the scriptures, is taking this world? Is this in line with what God is doing or is it in line with my own thinking? uh, And follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and lose their own soul? Kingdom of God, kingdom of Caesar. There's my desires and there's God's desires. And, and what Jesus is doing is he's taking the tax issue and getting to the heart of their deepest desires. The deepest desires of Peter in the story was his human agenda that Jesus would be the king and that Peter would have a job. That's his, that's his biggest desire. And Jesus is saying here, no, you don't understand the cross. The cross is where God shows us what God's agenda is, is that the world is worth rescuing and God is willing to lay aside his godness. He's willing to come in the person of his son, Jesus, and give himself up for our full saving and rescuing. Now, that just sounds like theological and, and all good. Now, cross, okay, I, I get that. Love, humility, I get that. But let's just think as we kind of get to the practical side of what do we do with a text like Mark 12 because we don't have the imperial tax, right? We don't have that big honking coin in our pocket with Tiberius Caesar, but we do live in a real world with real agendas. So what do we do with a text like this? I think the takeaway is we remember that Jesus is never the only option. Whatever issue, whatever situation, Jesus is always an option in the equation. So part of following him is gonna be taking what Jesus has done, he denies himself, he picks up the cross of suffering, of humility, of shame, not because he wants to put on a show, but because he loves us enough that he knows the way of his death will mean life. The way of his sacrifice will bring blessing. And Jesus lives this way and dies this way and rises this way. And this is what he calls us to. So whatever I'm struggling with as a follower of Jesus, I got to know that Jesus is competing as one option and one take on how to do whatever it is I want to do. So let's just think politics because this is about a political issue and a financial issue. I don't know which way you vote. Do you vote red? Do you vote blue? Do you vote green? Or have you created your own color? What, how do you vote? Do you vote conservative, whatever that is, liberal, whatever that is, independent, which is basically whatever you want, I guess. Like, how, how do you find yourself voting? What are the, what are the issues in politics that really get you thinking. Now, let's be honest, we're all over the map. Many of us really love Jesus. Do we agree as lovers of Jesus on the trajectory that this country should take? Do we agree? Absolutely. Not. No, we don't. And as a matter of fact, this is where it comes out in conversation. So let's just take that as a grid. We have our pet issues, we all have it. Some are taxes, our health care or immigration. Let's talk about a hot button one, Uh, abortion, same-sex marriage. We all have our issues. So how do we take a text like this and think about the issues that are dear to us? I think the best that we can do is to look at our heart and look at our allegiance. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, but then notice, give to God what is gods. Now we're not going to answer the spectrum of politics, but I can say this. If we get to a place, maybe you do, I do, where the issue that I feel so strongly about that I have to ram it down your throat until you agree with me, I would dare say that's evidence that you've put the issue and the kingdom of Caesar above the kingdom of God. Where the dividing line, because if how could, you say, how could you say you follow Jesus and vote for so-and-so? How could you be a Christian and vote that way? Well, I would just suggest to you run that well, that kind of statement. Does that sound like a deny yourself statement? Does that sound like a pick up your cross for the good of others kind of statement? No, when we act that way, we need to remind ourselves, we need to put ourselves in check that there are all sorts of things competing for the kingdom of Jesus. And the kingdom of Jesus is the kingdom of love. And the kingdom of Jesus is the kingdom of the cross where we, even though we have a strong view, we care about the other person and we care about them so much that I say as a Jesus follower, I'm willing to de- deny my rightness for your good. I'm not saying that, that, that their take on it is better. I'm saying that we as a church can be defined in many ways. And let me suggest to you, if we are defined as a community by anything other than Jesus, we are in trouble. And so it comes to politics. But that's not like the big hot button. You're like 15 and you're saying, Jose, I don't vote. Move on. Okay, you're 15 you don't vote. Let's talk about other kingdoms because there are many. Let's talk about the kingdom of adventure. I love Instagram because Instagram has redefined a term. It's called Adventure, And so people don't go on a walk, they're adventuring. <laughs> Follow Instagram and start looking at the word. So what were, you, what were you doing this weekend? I was exploring. You got in a truck and you drove to a trail. No, 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 but we're exploring, we're adventuring. We're, we are a culture, now I'm going to step on many toes, but I'll do it all at the same time. We are, we're a culture that's obsessed with recreational activities. We're totally obsessed with recreational activities. We're obsessed. We work hard. We strive so that we can carve out enough money enough t- and enough time to adventure. What do you love to do? So I could step on your toes properly. What do, you, what do you really, really like, the thing that you do, that you do, that you do so that you have time to do this. What do you love to do? What I want to suggest is that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Unless you're hurting someone, that's bad. But, but like if you're adventuring or exploring or whatever it is you do, go for it. Engage in it. God created this world. He said it's good. And he said, take liberty over it. Rule it. We should chill. As an American society, we're high strung. And we're, we, we put pressure on ourselves that are unnatural. The Europeans, frankly, are smarter. They know how to vacation. And that is a, something that Americans ought to learn. Now, can that adventuring, exploring commitment to self-gratification, can that be a stumbling block to the kingdom of God? Answer my rhetorical question. Yes. So what I want to suggest is the kingdom of taxes and politics, they may not be your drill, but all of us have to deal with the fact that we love to spend energy and attention and focus on things that are not necessarily in line with God's agenda for your life. So where the kingdom of Caesar may be the kingdom of sports for you. If your whole world is wrapped around the athletic calendar, whatever it is, watching it, refereeing it, playing it. If your whole world's wrapped around that to the point where God gets your leftovers, then Jesus is speaking to you. He's saying, you're talking about taxes and you're trying to put me in a trap. And so sometimes we get the kingdom of God and our own kingdom out of balance. It may not be sports. It may be a career, which is a good thing. Work hard, make more, save more, give more. That's the Bible rule. Make as much as you can, save as much as you can and give away as much as you can. If you live that way, you're living out the whole scriptures. But can your career be a stumbling block to the kingdom of God? What Jesus is saying is give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give your employer what's your employer's, give your career what's your career dictates, but give God what is God's. If your career is so obsessive that you have no time for the scriptures, no time for the spirit, no time for the community of God, can I just suggest to you that Jesus in this text might be speaking to you? Now, again, all of us are equally guilty of putting Jesus in a trap. Jesus, bless me when I do what I want, right? And isn't that what they're saying? They're saying to Jesus in a subtle way, give us everything we want, Jesus. We want you out of the picture. We want to lead. We we want, we want. And and God doesn't work that way. And so this morning, we get a chance to recalibrate our entire worldview. Is that why you came this morning? (laughs) I can't believe I used the word recalibrate. Who does that? Anyway, to shift your whole worldview this morning is a worship opportunity for you to say to Jesus, here I am, and I'm probably at least 10% off course. But I'm here. And Jesus, will you open my eyes to see where I'm putting my kingdom over and above your kingdom? Because you said, give to God what is God's. Now, um, this week, I, in reading a text like this, I completely absolutely smashed by it you know and i said to myself jose what do you do with a text like this? i speak to myself in the third person it seems more appropriate like jose what <laughs> i don't really but what do you, what do you do with a text like this what you do is you spend time and you ask god to shift your priorities cuz i'm not even able to reprioritize my own soul i'm not maybe you're spiritual enough I need the spirit of God to awaken things that are off course and realign me to the way of Jesus. And so that's what we want to do this morning. Two questions I want you to ask yourself. And what we're going to do is um, the band is going to come and they're going to play in a bit, but I want to create three or four minutes of what is the most horrific thing for an American to do in a public setting is be silent. It's the thing we're scared of because you're ever in an elevator And you just feel like, I don't know what to do now. It's silent. I'm with a stranger. (laughs) Hey. You know, we don't know what to do with it. Silence for us. We're we're not contemplative as a culture. We're loud. We're American. And we want to create space to be silent. Two questions. What allegiance or allegiances need to be evaluated? What have you committed to? What are you passionate about? what's taking priority in a bad percentage to the kingdom of God. And we need to evaluate, we need to identify them in order for the spirit of God to begin to loosen the grip. Does this happen in one gathering? No way. It doesn't happen in like, poof, you are no longer a political hotbed. It doesn't happen in a moment. But when you realize whatever the issue, and it could be, it could be small to me, but big to you if it's misaligning your heart for God, then and ask him, Holy Spirit, what is it that I need to do to get out of that as the priority and into you? And then the honest follow-up is, am I giving God what's God's? Now the answer to that, let me answer it for you in one sense, is no, right? <laughs> am I generous enough? No. There's always another level of generosity. Am I faithful enough? No, there's always another level of faithfulness. But what I mean by that is, is this your heart's desire? Do you want to give God what is God's? Because we're all in process, but not everyone is even seeking it. And this morning, we want to give you the opportunity to go to Jesus, who is our high priest, by the way. It's not Caesar, and it's not the church, and it's not me. Caesar had the coin, high priest. Actually, Jesus is the high priest. And he's the one who stands between you and your creator, the father, and he is on your side. You need to know Jesus is on your side and Jesus knows what life can be for you when you get it aligned right. And Jesus is for you moving in this direction. And Jesus, because he died and rose again, will empower you to live this way. So what do you need to do? It's not about figuring out a whole new plan to live. It's about laying everything to Jesus and saying, Jesus, shift it, chuck it, remove it, add, like my life is yours and he will do the shifting and the shaking and you'll be better for it. That's a promise.